Greetings and welcome back to Strange Places. I'm your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III. This podcast is brought to you by Spotify and DistroKid. Now, instead of diving headfirst into this week's bizarre mystery, I think it's best that before I say anything, you first hear it from the horse's mouth. This is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's four bright, seems to be like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 1,000 feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. He seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft, it's... Can you describe the, uh, the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify it, it has such speed. It's before me right now, Melbourne. How large would the, um, the object be? Seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting. The thing is just orbiting on top of me. It's also got a green light and a sort of metallic like. It's shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. That strange aircraft's hovering on top of me again. It's hovering and it's not an aircraft. What you just heard is a recreation taken from actual transcripts from a pilot to air traffic control. Sadly, the original recording is nowhere to be found. And as we talk about this one, there may be a reason why. The pilot was a man named Frederick Valentich, and the words he spoke that you just heard were his last. The disappearance of Frederick Valentich remains one of the most enduring and captivating mysteries in aviation history. On October 21st, 1978, 20-year-old, God, 20? This guy was a baby. 20-year-old Australian pilot Frederick Valentich embarked on a routine training flight from Moorabbin Airport, Melbourne, destined for King Island. However, What started as an ordinary flight soon spiraled into an enigmatic encounter that would forever alter the course of Valentich's life, what was left of it. With each passing minute, the skies above the Bass Strait became the stage for an inexplicable series of events, leaving investigators and the public grappling with an unsolved mystery that continues to intrigue. Frederick Valentich was a young man with a passion for aviation that ignited him ever since he was little. He was born on June 9th, 1958 in Melbourne, Australia. He grew up kind of mesmerized by the sight of airplanes soaring above him. He always wanted to be a pilot. As he approached his teenage years, his fascination in flight only deepened and he resolved to turn his dream of becoming a pilot into a reality. Determined, driven, Valentich enrolled in flight training at Morabin Airport, one of Australia's prominent 
aviation hubs. And I do have a lot of listeners in Australia, so if I butcher any of this, I do apologize. <laughs> Guided by experienced instructors, this kid was diligent. Diligently honed his skills. Well, I know he's an adult, but compared to me, he's a kid, okay? Dedicating himself to learning the intricacies of aviation, aircraft mechanics. So he wanted to do it all. His infectious enthusiasm, natural talent, too. It earned him a lot of recognition among his peers. This was a bright kid. As the sun began to set on that fateful day in October 1978, Frederick Valentich prepared for what should have been a routine flight to King Island. The weather was calm. The conditions seemed ideal for a smooth journey. No issues. Would have been a perfect flight. Little did he know that the skies above Bass Strait held an enigmatic encounter in store, supposedly. At around 7.06 p.m., while cruising at an altitude of 4,500 feet, Valentich reported a puzzling sighting over the radio to air traffic control, which you heard at the you know, beginning of this. But let's break it down. He described an unidentified aircraft with four bright green lights performing maneuvers that were beyond the capabilities of any known conventional aircraft. I know this was a recreation, but this was taken from the actual transcripts. His voice was said to contain a mix of awe and extreme concern, emphasized that what he was witnessing was, and I quote, not an aircraft. As Valentich continued to describe the strange movements, you know, of the unidentified craft, air traffic control tried to assist him while seeking answers on their own, as you would imagine. Despite their efforts, no definitive explanation could be discerned, leaving the young pilot and the controllers completely perplexed. As the encounter progressed, Valentich's voice conveyed a growing sense of unease, he and I think they did a really good job, you know, with the the recreation there. It, it's still pretty chilling shit. I mean, after all, it's taken from the actual transcript. Valentich reported that the unidentified craft was drawing closer to his Cessna 182L, causing him increasing concern. He said, as you heard, it's hovering on top of me, he said. The urgency in his voice becoming more evident with each passing moment. In the midst of the radio transmission, a chilling interruption occurred. Valentich reported hearing a metallic scraping or banging noise, adding yet another layer of mystery to the already completely puzzling events. The air traffic controller, grappling with the unfolding situation, continued to seek information and provide reassurance to the young pilot. But in the minutes that followed, the radio communication between Frederick Valentich and air traffic control took an unnerving turn to say the least the young pilot's voice expressed both awe and trepidation as he continued to describe the unidentified craft's movements however without warning the transmission abruptly fell silent air traffic control repeatedly attempted to establish contact with valentich but all efforts were unanswered the once lively radio communication was now eerily quiet leaving the controllers and the world in a state of suspense and uncertainty. Minutes turned into hours. It became evident that something extraordinary happened. Frederick Valentich and his aircraft had vanished without a trace, 
An urgent search and rescue operation was launched involving aircraft, ships, ground crews. I mean, it was it was huge. They spanned a vast expanse over Bass Strait. This was a big deal. And, you know, despite their exhaustive efforts, they found it. if they found him, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here, right? No wreckage. No evidence was ever found. The mysterious vanishing of Frederick Valentich and his Cessna 182L remained unsolved, leaving investigators and the public grappling with an enigma that defied explanation. In the aftermath of everything, there's been a lot of theories. <laughs> a lot of theories. In an attempt to explain the baffling disappearance, I'm going to give you the meat of it. What I think is the most valid-looking stuff. Some proposed that Valentich had encountered a UFO, extraterrestrial craft. That's kind of obvious, right? And people aren't just screaming alien. I mean, this one might be legit. And his vanishing might be attributed to an abduction. Not just of him, but his whole damn plane. Believers in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, you know, they point to the sudden radio silence as evidence of an otherworldly encounter. On the other hand... Because we got to look at both sides of it, right? Skeptics offered more conventional explanations. Some suggested that spatial disorientation, you know, mechanical failure. Others considered the possibility of intentional disappearance. Although there's zero motive. I just, I got to point that out. No motive was ever established. The Australian Department of Transport, they conducted an official investigation into the incident. They examined, you know, the weather conditions, which were perfect, by the way, aircraft performance, Valentich's background, prior radio transmissions. They dug into this one quite a bit. However, despite their meticulous efforts, the case is still open and it's ruled inconclusive for now. No definitive evidence emerged to explain the disappearance of Frederick Valentich and the enigmatic craft that he encountered. Or that he said he encountered. How long has it been? <laughs> Decades. Decades. Have passed since the disappearance of Frederick Valentich. Yet the enigma endures, man. The case has become a symbol of uncertainty, right? If anything, a haunting reminder of the mysteries that lie within the vast skies above. You're... <laughs> This is the Earth's atmosphere here. You're vast unknown, you know. It's, it's a scary place. The enduring allure of this unsolved riddle continues to captivate the world's imagination, especially mine, inspiring countless discussions, books, documentaries. Oh, my God. You look up Frederick Valentich online, you will have your fill. And I'm adding to it. <laughs> As we reflect on this, just, you know, I gotta say... I remember Frederick Valentich. We got to remember him. And the countless others who vanished without a trace. Weird circumstance or not. Forever etched into the annals of aviation history. In the shadow of uncertainty. The legacy of this mysterious vanishing. It's kind of a haunting reminder. That, you know, of uncharted territories. The skies are boundless. And <laughs> just like the ocean. I don't think we could ever fully catalog what's in that expanse. You know what I mean? We're discovering something every day. But what happened, what happened to Valentich, man? 
we got to look at both sides of it. We got to look at the evidence, what happened. We got to see what the skeptics say. Our common sense brains, right? Because that's what we always say on the show. Got to use our common sense brains, man. I think, I mean, there's always going to be some that are completely inconclusive, you know? There'll always be some of those. There's always going to be inconclusives, man. <laughs> There's always going to be. But you know what? I think that we've done a really good job so far. We've proven things on this show. We flat out debunked things on this show. I mean, without any argument, man. There's a lot of people online that are going to grab their torches and pitchforks with some of these, but there's no... There's no escaping common sense, I believe, and there's no escaping logic. Common sense is something rarely, if ever, used in the paranormal study these days, probably ever. But there's always going to be some that we just don't have enough. Is this one of them? Let's look at the meat. Let's look at some evidence that I've gathered and what people say, yeah, this is legit. You know, something paranormal happened here. The radio transmission. Sorry, my chair squeaked. I, I hate this fucking chair, man. One of the most significant pieces of evidence is that radio transmission between Frederick Valentich and air traffic control. It's compelling stuff. I mean, during this communication, Valentich reported seeing an unidentified aircraft with bright green lights and described its unusual movements to the T. The recorded audio of this radio transmission has been studied uh, until they were blue in the face, analyzed by investigators. If you know anything about the aviation industry... Whether it's small aircraft like this or huge mega corporations, inconclusive is not in their vocabulary. They will avoid that shit at, uh, uh, to the bitter end, man. So just the fact, and some people are saying that this is evidence of something strange here, just the fact that anything involving the aviation industry came to inconclusive that's amazing in of itself, which I kind of agree with. And the fact that we don't have the original audio. May I ask why? We have the transcripts. What are we missing here? What is going to be so earth-shattering that you're keeping those recordings? There's a lot of places out there that are claiming to have the original recordings. Trust me, they're not. Oh, I researched for almost an entire week on this thing. There are no original recordings anywhere of this. Why? That bothers me. The other thing is the witness testimonies. Yeah, there were witnesses. Several witnesses on the ground reported seeing unusual lights in the sky on the night of the incident. Some witnesses claimed to observe, uh, they observed a strange, brightly lit craft in the area where Valentich was flying. Some even saw Valentich's fucking plane while this thing was hovering around it. Official investigations. Another one. The Australian Department of Transport conducted an official investigation into this. They examined various factors such as weather conditions, aircraft performance, the pilot's background. The investigation concluded that the cause of the disappearance could not be determined with certainty. This kid was poised. He was focused. He was... I mean... He, Okay, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute. I got another point here. Just hang with me. The flight plan. The radar data. That's a big one, right? 
the flight plan of Valentich, the Cessna 182L, the radar data, obviously that was analyzed as well. Strangely, aside from not having the damn recording, this airport, air traffic control, I mean, the Australian Department of Transport has been pretty transparent with this whole thing. They've been pretty open about the, the investigation, you know what I mean? Even if they are hiding something or even if they aren't, are, you know, sitting on stuff, it's way more transparent than what you would see in the U.S. Oh, my God. Yeah. Way more transparent. It's pretty shocking. <laughs> they were pretty open about a lot of stuff. It just bugs me. We don't have that recording. But I am happy at least that the Australian Department of Transport is not like the FAA here in America. Uh, FAA, we know for a fact that they avoid saying inconclusive or unsolved to the point where they don't give a shit about straight up lying. And it's like that all over the world. Australia, you guys have your cases too. You're not perfect. <laughs> but this is a bizarre one. It's almost like they knew they couldn't give an explanation. They knew they couldn't. It's kind of weird. But anyway, the flight plan, radar data, right? All that was looked at. These data provided insights into the aircraft's intended route and its last known location, which was on par to where Valentich was heading. He didn't go off course at all. That is extremely important. Valentich dropped off of radar instantly. He disappeared, went out like a light from the radar. This is in their investigation. Chorba Podcast, Time to Give Up, is a story about life, real life. Bogdan, a 30-year-old Romanian, moves to London with his wife Sandra in search of new opportunities and a better future. However, things do not go as expected and Bogdan, helpless in the face of the cruelty of life's events, decides to start telling his story with a recording to free himself from the weight of guilt. Will all this be enough? Sound intriguing to you? Well, check it out. A link will be provided in this episode's description. Listen to this, okay? Is this proof that something paranormal happened? No. It might... It's, plane could have been shot down by some warring country or there could have been some mechanical failure or maybe I'm not putting this on Valentich, but I'm just giving examples. Maybe a pilot is suicidal. Maybe he purposely wanted to haul ass and knew how to you know, cover up radar. Yeah, it's something. I know he's not flying a fucking stealth, but you fly low enough. Yeah, you can skirt radar. There are ways. But the investigation didn't say any of that. Right? They didn't give any of those explanations. They didn't say, well, it could be this, could be that, could be this. And I really get the sense that they kind of wanted to say that, but they couldn't. I know that's speculation. I know it is. Maybe I just keep thinking about how things are done in this country, <laughs> where I'm at. Not as transparent at all. But this kid, you know, this 20-year-old man, okay, I'll, I'll stop saying kid. He's kid to me because I'm old. This 20-year-old Frederick Valentich. Yeah, he was a rookie. But 
this was one of the last flights of his training. And this was one of the one of the rock stars. You know, this was one of the people who really knew his shit. As far as the evidence to debunk this thing, the only thing I have, the only thing I could find anywhere is what people, the only thing people are saying, even in official circles, it's kind of lame. All they're saying is, there's lack of physical evidence, so we can't prove anything paranormal happened. We can't prove that. And the, uh, the pilot's inexperience. That has something to do with it for sure. The pilot's inexperience. We can rule out anything paranormal because of inexperience. Inexperience, 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 blah, blah, blah. And no physical evidence. Yeah, those are big ones. And without those things... Physical evidence would be a big one. Inexperience, uh, that has to play a factor. As much as I don't want to say that, Valentich's inexperience does have some play here. It does. You go through flight training. Has he logged thousands upon thousands of hours? No. Has he seen everything up there? No. There are pilots out there with over a million miles under their belt. They still haven't seen everything. You know what I mean? It's just, it goes back to that saying, can you really be, can you really have enough experience for every scenario? Right? I mean, when pilots go through training, do they teach you what happens if you see a a UFO that's a, a fucking, almost a mile long, glowing, you know, as bright as the sun right in front of your face? Do they teach you how to deal with those situations? No. Do they teach you how to deal with the press and fallout from you saying that you witnessed something or, right? They teach you what to do if a goose you know, or something smashes into your windshield. They teach you that shit. But do they teach you what happens when you fly through a storm cloud that doesn't look quite right? And you see things that shouldn't be there. Or... Something buzzes your plane, and you know this is something that should not, cannot exist. Do they train you for that? Because that shit's happened. Supposedly. No. So I don't care how much training Valentich had or didn't have. There's some things you just cannot prepare for. Sorry, he could have had a billion miles under his belt. They don't teach this in flight school. So I think the inexperienced thing, yeah, it does have some weight to it. He wasn't experienced. He was still in training. Technically, that has to have some play there, right? That's got to be a part of the equation. But, but, and this is a big hairy but. You don't deal with this kind of shit in training. They don't train you for this. So it didn't matter how much flight time he had. It didn't matter how experienced he was. This isn't a part of the course, boy. Valentich. Pretty crazy. Now, you know, like I said, we save a lot of the research for when we're sitting here, you know, actually recording. And I recently heard about the Summerton Man case, the Tom Amashud case, which I wanted to talk about on the show, but now I guess we can't because uh, he's actually been positively identified. So I think a part of our research, um, major part of the research during the show, we should make this a during the show thing. See if this is one of those that's been solved recently. (laughs) And we'll just flat out ask it. Is Frederick Valentich 
still missing. I want to see if any evidence was ever found. If they ever found even a scrap of that plane. Anything. Um, presumed fatal. Well, yeah, he's been missing forever. Okay. Uh, five years after the aircraft went missing, an engine cowl flap was found washed ashore on Flinders Island. In July of 1983, the Bureau of Air Safety and Investigation asked the Royal Australian Navy Research Laboratory about the likelihood that the cowl flap might have traveled to its ultimate position. I just lost my spot. From the region where the aircraft disappeared, the Bureau noted that the part has been identified as having come from a Cessna 182 between a certain range of serial numbers which included Valentich's aircraft. So the likelihood, we it's not 100%, okay? I'm not stretching. <laughs> it's not 100%. But it's pretty damn likely that that engine cowl came from Valentich's aircraft. But, like everything with this case, we cannot say 100% for sure. We cannot. There's one thing that I want to get to here at the end of it that really bugs me. Uh, but like I said, hang with me. That's still I'm still logging that in my head. Uh, it's been proposed that Valentich staged his disappearance. Even taking into account a trip between 30 and 45 minutes to uh, Cape Otway, the single-engine Cessna 182 still had enough fuel to fly about 500 fucking miles. Despite ideal conditions that day, at no time was the aircraft plotted on radar. So they're saying, yeah, you fly no, low enough, you can skirt radar. Every pilot knows this. They said he was disoriented, flying upside down. If this were the case, the lights he thought he saw would be his own aircraft's lights reflected in the water, right? It happens. He would have then crashed into the water. But I gotta say, the model Cessna that he was piloting, this thing isn't designed to fly inverted. It has a gravity-feed fuel system. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? The engine would have cut out very quickly. And to a pilot, even a pilot in training, it's very obvious what would be causing that. If he was flying upside down, he would have fucking knew it real quick. They said suicide could be a thing. But interviews with doctors and colleagues who knew him eliminated this possibility. They said, no, absolutely not. This man was very, very well put together. The radio transcripts, they were reviewed back in 2013. And other data by an astronomer. Uh, he was a retired Air Force pilot. Now, somebody with the USAF. <laughs> Just take this with a grain of salt, okay? <laughs> Once the U.S. gets involved, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be petty or facetious or you know anything like that. <clears throat> I'm just saying. When the U.S. Air Force is involved and has something to do, anything to do with UFOs, speculative or otherwise, we got to be careful. We're walking on eggshells here. Uh, he proposed that the inexperienced Valentich was deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon, which he uh, attempted to compensate and inadvertently put his aircraft into a downward, uh, what they call a graveyard spiral. You see it in movies and shit. He mistook for simple orbiting of the aircraft. According to the author... He wrote a book about it. The G-forces of a tightening spiral would decrease fuel flow, resulting in the rough idling reported by Valentich. And some of the noises, too. That explains a lot of the, you know, noises. But here's the thing. I mean, 
wouldn't he fucking know these noises? I mean, uh, 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 becoming a pilot is not like getting your driver's license. You know what I mean? This is some pretty intense training. This, <laughs> they don't screw around with the pilot stuff, you know? And as focused and determined as this guy was, as much as he knew his shit, I mean, he was kind of known for it. I find this very unlikely. Now, the ufologist angle. They speculated that extraterrestrials either destroyed Valentich's aircraft or abducted him. You know, they asserted that some individuals reported seeing an erratically moving green light in the sky and that he was in a steep dive at the time. Ufologists believe these accounts are significant because of the green light Valentich also talked about. That's significant. These were independent of each other, right? People on the ground are saying, there's a green thing floating around his plane, and it's making these weird erratic movements I've never seen. Valentich said the same damn thing. So, you know, I mean, that's, that is significant. They didn't know what Valentich reported. Valentich didn't know what they reported. So, what does common fucking sense tell you? Common sense tells you that as unreliable as eyewitness testimony is, normally I wouldn't give a crap about that, right? Or we would just eh, put it in the bin, not really all that important. However, these are two vastly different... Uh, what, what's, what am I looking for? Uh, oh my God, I'm drawing a complete blank here. Wow. Vastly different... <laughs> I'm just gone, my brain. Vastly different places in this entire event going on, right? They're standing in different areas. Different perspectives. That's the word. Jeez. Forgot the word perspectives. But we have two completely different perspectives of the same event occurring, right? This isn't a crowd of people looking at something all in the general area. I'm telling you, it's significant when multiple people witness something and they're not aware in the slightest that somebody else is seeing it. It's like seeing, you know, when people report something happening, right? And then somebody miles away looking at the event with their binoculars, you know, same thing. That eliminates that kind of mass hysteria crowd stuff. I'm telling you, that is significant. Two perspectives that could not be farther apart from each other describing the same thing. So, we can reasonably say, beyond the shadow of a doubt, there was something greenish glowing up there when Valentich was flying around and it was making erratic and bizarre movements. Whatever it is, that existed. And we have to account for that in this story. There's no other way around it. The group Ground, uh, Ground Saucer Watch, they're based in Phoenix, Arizona. They claim that photos taken by plumber Roy Manifold on the day of Valentich's disappearance show a fast-moving object exiting the water named Cape, uh, near Cape Otway Lighthouse. That this thing was not just a UFO, it was a USO, unidentified submersible object. 
According to UFO writer Jerome Clark, Ground Saucer Watch argued that they showed a bona fide unknown flying object of moderate dimensions apparently surrounded by a cloud-like vapor or exhaust residue, or it could be the water, you know, just steaming off the thing. Although the pictures, I'm telling you right now, don't go look them up. They're not clear enough to identify squat. They're some of the worst UFO photos I've ever seen. And we can't prove that anyway, that it was a USO. But here's something that I think is significant, something that we absolutely have to account in this story. We have to. There was something glowing green. It was near his aircraft, and it was flying erratically. Valentich said it, and people on the ground said it. I cannot emphasize that enough. If this was just a bunch of people standing around in a crowd, we could say, yeah... Power suggestion, mass hysteria, whatever. Even if it wasn't just a bunch of people in the crowd. If this was a bunch of people on the ground, I mean, even miles apart from each other, fine. We could all chalk that up as, you know, just something based on their perspective, their point of view. Maybe they're seeing swamp gas or Venus or, you know, whatever. But Valentich saw it right up in his area, too, up close and personal. The perspectives are so different, and they're both seeing the same thing. There's no way around this. As much as I'd hate to say it, I, <laughs> I did, this is one of the ones that I, I didn't want to have a certain outcome, but I figured, okay, I logically, you know, like I said, I save a little bit of research for the end. I was thinking logically, I was like, okay, I kind of know where it's going to go sometimes, you know, when I'm record, before I record the episode, I kind of know where it's going to go. But then ones like this throw me for a complete loop. I had no idea that they were, I knew that there were witnesses on the ground, but I had no idea that they described the color and the movement exactly what Valentich saw. <laughs> so how could you have misidentification and, you know, people are saying like hysteria stuff, you know, like that or uh, power of suggestion. How could you have that from two independent sources that could not be more opposite <laughs> as far as perspective goes? I'm sorry, but there was a green object floating around his fucking plane. I don't know what it was. We can't prove what it was. Could it be something atmospheric? Who knows? Is there a conspiracy here? Could it be some kind of experimental aircraft, whatever? But here's the kicker. I know a lot of people are saying that, but Valentich said it's not an aircraft. That is a big stamp on this thing, a big rubber stamp. We have a pilot saying it's not an aircraft. Granted, again, like I said, they don't teach you this in aircraft training. They don't teach you how to identify things from, you know, interstellar space, or they don't teach you how to identify this and that. You can reasonably suspect that, yeah, you see a UFO. This thing is reflecting light. It's made out of metal, whatever. These are craft. It's obvious. It's not a, you know, it's obviously not a living thing. You know what I mean? It, it's, it was built by something, Right. We don't know what UFOs are, but when people see them, it's obviously manufactured by someone and somebody out of something. Valentich said this thing is not an aircraft. And I think even one in training, okay, even a pilot in training, if anybody would fucking know what's an aircraft and what's not, it'd be Valentich in this situation. I keep, uh, that's something I always, uh, I just keep going back to. It's not an aircraft, he says. 
it's not an aircraft, what the hell was it? What atmospheric, what natural glows green and moves like that? It was a clear day. We can rule out the possibility of stuff, even, you know, supposed stuff like ball lightning, you know, shit like that. What the hell was it? We know it's there because it was ver- verified. We don't rely on eyewitness testimony. I know this. But this one is significant because of the perspectives involved. Sorry, but we got to count this one. There was a green object doing uh, just strange and bizarre, almost impossible movements in the sky around his plane. And the guy who's sitting there mere feet from the thing is saying, it's not an aircraft. Then what the hell was it? Actually, his last words, it's hovering and it's not an aircraft. Well, we can say that there was something up there that day. But we just don't know what. But there was something there. This one, we'll have to mark as inconclusive, man. Pretty, uh, pretty insane story. So what do you guys think? Make sure to go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there as well as link to get to our Patreon account where you get everything from bonus episodes, giveaways of certain, certain tiers, extra stuff. I'm doing a giveaway here pretty soon too. Uh, giving away one of my books, actually. So uh, check it out. If you want to do a little extra to support the show, uh, check out the Patreon, man. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkle Homestead YouTube channel. Donald Haynes, David Peterson, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for doing that little extra. Show wouldn't be around if it wasn't for you. I'm dead serious. <laughs> the ad space, it has its uh, valleys and hills, you know. Sometimes we're doing good some months, some months we're not. So the patrons, I'm always uh, glad. You guys are like the back of a chair. You know, I can always lean on you, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, that's all we got, ladies and gentlemen. I will catch you on the next episode. Now, are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. This episode is brought to you by Wastely. Aside from being your perfect workout companion, what is Wastely? Well, let me answer that question with a question. When you're on a hike or a jog or at the gym, you want to keep your phone on you, right? What about your water bottle? Maybe even your keys? What Wastely does is fill this need with an intuitive and slick design that you have to try for yourself. As in the name, Wastely is a waistband, but with a cutting edge construction. Made to keep your personal items on you without jiggling, falling, or bouncing, even during the most intense of workouts. No uncomfortable buckles or zippers that break and tear over time. The durable nylon spandex material is machine washable and will never shrink, nor will it sweat or chafe. This amazing product not only fits like a glove, but releases the heat generated during exercise and keeps you and your items dry. Sounds awesome, right? Well, don't take my word for it. Head to Wastely.co, that's Wastely.co, and read the rave reviews from real customers who have tried Wastely and never looked back. Join the people whose workout sessions got stepped up a notch. That's Wastely.co. A link will be provided in this episode's description. So check it out.